0: I know words I have the best words nobody knows the system better than me which is why I alone can fix it Hello hello what's going on everybody? this is The Peddling Fiction Podcast, and I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, back in the States, finally, unfortunately, (laughs) back in the States, I am your host, Johnny Profita, and I just got back last night from Mexico. I gotta say, it sucks to be back in Chicago. (laughs) It, It really is horrible every time I come back here. And, you know, I, I do have to apologize. I did not do another episode last week. I I just could not bring myself to spend any more of my vacation time, even though it was a three week vacation. I, I could not bring myself to waste another day on whatever the news that I was seeing. It seemed like everything was just about these impeachment hearings and it. I've already said just about everything I can on that, and it's just kind of like, who cares? I can't waste another precious day talking about this nonsense. So I just decided that I was not going to do another episode, and I was going to enjoy whatever time I had left. So um, I I am kind of sorry about that, but also I'm not that sorry, (laughs) The vacation was was pretty great. Uh, It was not without its setbacks, of course. You know your vacation is long enough when you can almost fully recover from a dislocated shoulder and and still have time left to enjoy your vacation. But uh, yeah, I do have... I have a bad left shoulder for anybody who doesn't know. It's an old football injury from when I was in high school. I was... I was a kick returner as one of my responsibilities, kick returner running back. Um, and I was, the, the kick was on the ground and I was diving on the football and my shoulder popped out of the socket. And ever since then, it's one of those reoccurring injuries that you get with my shoulder. I never, one of, one of the dumbest things I ever did was I never really rehabbed it as much as I should. I, I rushed back into getting, um, getting back into the the game. You know, I think I took like a week off or something and ever since then, I have really struggled to keep this thing in the socket. I have separated my shoulder more times than I can even count in, in some of the the dumbest ways you can imagine. One one morning it was shutting off my alarm clock. Uh this was back, you know, before we had Cell phones and everything. And I had one of those radio alarm clocks that was set to like a static channel. And it was just blasting static first thing in the morning. And it was so jarring that I I just reached over and smacked it with my left hand, shoulder pops out of the socket. I did it stretching at halftime at a Bulls game. I got up and stretched my arms back, shoulder pops out of the socket. And um, I've always been able to get it back in. And I I was able to do it this time as well. It had been a while since I'd done it. It it was really the ultimate display of irony. The ultimate display of what we have deemed in the Profita family as Profita luck. You know, we'd always say if it weren't for bad luck, we wouldn't have any luck at all. Because I play flag football. I play softball. And I always, you know, the flag football season is always right before I take a long vacation in November. And I was always uh, afraid that I was going to hurt myself right before I go on vacation, you know, break my wrist, blow out a knee, dislocate my shoulder or something. And it, it was going to ruin my, my PV vacation. And of course, playing football on the beach in, on vacation is where the injury actually occurs. And it was not, I wasn't doing anything crazy or anything stupid like that. It was just going out for a pass was overthrown a little bit, and I just reached out with my left hand. I got my hand on the ball, but apparently whatever angle my arm was at and the weight of the football was enough to drive it out of the socket. It really is uh, an unfortunate injury, but uh, I got it back in. And the other thing that's nice is that in PV, you can go to the pharmacy, uh most pharmacies that is some require prescriptions for things but they have these little pharmacies you can just go into and ask for just about any drug that you want so i was able to get some painkillers and you know i still sent it still sent it every day i was not going to let not being able to really move my left arm for a few days to 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 ruin whatever vacation time i had left but that was about a week ago the worst part about that was i was i was in great shape going into this vacation i've been working out every day i I was still working out on vacation every other day and you know i missed a day i I took an extra day off from working out because i just didn't feel like it and then this happened so now i'm like two weeks off of uh I, i haven't worked out in two weeks and man is it is it depressing to to see how how quickly you lose all of all that muscle mass, everything that you've been building for, for months can be gone in like a 10-day period. But anyway, um, I'm going to get back into that. The trip overall, even with that, you know, I, I would still take being uh, disabled in Mexico than being uh, fully abled in, in this Chicago weather. The city of Chicago. Ugh. But um, yeah, I had a great time. Got back last night. And um, oh, one of the other things that I I thought, I guess I'll just bring it up while we're talking about uh, Puerto Vallarta is because there's a lot of Canadians down there. And, you know, I'm hanging out in the pool pretty much every day. And you, you strike up conversations with people in the pool, you know, shooting the breeze or whatever, and all these Canadians come down to, to uh, Puerto Vallarta. They're, they're all, all these people from Calgary. It, it It's pretty inc- incre- uh, incredible. They they really have, like, taken over the town. They're everywhere. Um, but one of the reasons they come down there, other than the fact that it's one of, like, the the quickest ways that they can get to a hot, you know, tropical environment or whatever, there are entire towns in Mexico. One of them is called Bucerías, which is about 30 minutes north of Puerto Vallarta. It's a, it's a little beach town. It's sort of up and coming. And there are towns like that popping up all over mexico where doctors are going to start practices and canadians flock there you know they take a vacation they go down to mexico and they get all their dental work done you know we always hear bernie sanders elizabeth warren pointing to canadian healthcare as as, as if it's this beacon this this shining star of what we should aim to achieve. And and the fact of the matter is that I, I was talking to this guy in the pool and he was telling me he, he was down there, him and his wife were down there for, for two weeks to get all this dental work done, like major dental work. It's 10% of, of the cost down in Mexico as it is in Canada. So they, they were getting $3,500 worth of, of major dental work done while on vacation, you know, they they'd go down for a day to Bucareas, get some work done, come back to the to PV, uh enjoy the pool whatever, go back in a couple of days, get the next round of whatever he was having done. I didn't ask for too many details, but but he told me that what it would cost him in Canada to get the same work done is $35,000. And it just made me think about, you know, the whole healthcare situation and and, and just it's not the first instance I've heard of Canadians going elsewhere. A lot of times they come down to the United States to get stuff done. Because when you have nationalized healthcare, single-payer systems, or whatever, the, the wait times are too long to get stuff done. Uh, the, the, the costs are astronomical, despite what they tell you, for, for things that you know maybe the government ha- has decided are not absolutely necessary to get done. Like, like whatever dental work these guys were having done. So anyway i thought that was that was sort of interesting and a little tidbit i could share with you folks um the other thing you know i i guess i've had a, a few more thoughts on the impeachment stuff but other than like who cares it's super boring we all know that this story is just bullshit it it's it's really ridiculous that was the only takeaway i did follow uh, the you know the first round of hearings and I listen to some clips and stuff in the news, and it's just, I mean, I'm never more convinced than ever that uh, it's it, it just, it, this, the whole <laughs> this whole thing is a farce. This whole thing is a farce. But I think the, the biggest problem, and we, I see this in a lot of news stories, libertarians usually uh, identify this, is that we're never really talking about what the real problem is. This whole impeachment process, uh, all this stuff, all this talk about foreign aid and abuse of power and and, and even the, the Joe Biden stuff, Hunter Biden stuff, uh, what really never comes up in the discussion is the idea of foreign aid in the first place. <laughs> We're letting them frame the debate where, oh, is this an abuse of power and what's he doing with this foreign aid and yada, 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 when really, why aren't we talking about foreign aid and why we do that because there's nothing in the constitution that authorizes the government to give tens of billions of dollars to other countries there there's nothing go read article one section eight of the constitution it's not very long that's the part that delegates the powers of the federal government and the the reason it's not very long is because they weren't supposed to have a lot of powers it was supposed to be a small government Um, And there's nothing in there that says they can provide, they can tax us, they can steal money from us to give to other countries. I mean, you'd have to come up with some really convoluted uh, interpretation of the national defense or the general welfare clause, which is in that uh, section of the Constitution, and try to make some argument that it's in our national defense interest to give foreign aid to these countries when that's just that i mean i could make a far stronger argument that it it's a detriment to our national defense we end up propping up these horrible dictators or instituting regime change uh or we're meddling in other countries affairs that cause these these blowback situations and the attacks like 9-11 and things like that where it we're uh, funding and aiding terrorist groups all all over the the Middle East does that make us more safe you know it, it's just ridiculous and I think Ron Paul said it best where uh, i I forget when he said this it was a while ago but all foreign aid is is poor people in rich co- uh, countries giving money to rich people in poor countries like the foreign aid never Makes it to the, the poor people over in Ukraine or wherever whatever country we're talking about or Haiti or anything like that. You no, know, it goes to the the politicians, the politically connected, the the people who least are in a position where they least need that money. It doesn't trickle down to the other people. It's 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 just one big uh, you know political scheme. And, and if we really wanted to help. Poor people in other countries. We should do it on the individual level. We should do it privately. And that, that way we can ensure that the people who actually need the aid get the aid. It would be one private citizen or a group of private citizens giving their money to another group of private citizens in another country directly. And it, it would be for a cause that they care about, for people that they care about. We wouldn't have to steal money from people and force them to support countries that maybe they find reprehensible. Um, you know, all this stuff with Israel and Palestine. I, I, I don't want to get into all that right now, but a lot of people might find that offensive, that we, that we support Israel with all this money. Uh, so why force them to do that? Why not have the people who support Israel on an individual level decide for themselves to give Israel some of their money, uh, certain people in Israel some of their money, the ones that they think deserve it, the ones that they think need it? Uh, I mean, this whole idea of foreign aid is the real discussion and that we shouldn't be doing it in the first place. The government has no uh, uh, authority to do it. And it's not the role of the federal government to be propping up dictators around the world, to be uh, buying influence around the world. And that's what it's really all about. We all know that. <laughs> I mean, that actually came out in the hearings. <laughs> that the, the reason we give them foreign aid is so that they will do what we want them to do. That's the reason the money's there, is so that if they don't... Um, if they don't fulfill their end of the bargain, their part of the quid pro quo, if you will, then we'll pull the money back and we'll take it away. I mean, that's the way it works. That's why it's there. It's just, all, it's, and it never comes up in any of these discussions. Why, why we have foreign aid, whether or not we should be doing it. No, no, it's just, ah, oh, abuse of power and, uh, whatever. Anyway, um, that, that, that's all I have to say about that. It's just, it, it's just like who cares? I don't care about this. The only people who care about it are ones that are obsessed with Donald Trump. And you know, like I said before on the show, I, I do think Donald Trump should be impeached for war crimes. Uh, what what what's going on over in Yemen? Uh, what he's continued to do over in the the Middle East? Impeach him for that, okay? Um, I I you would you would have my full support if you impeach him for war crimes try him for that, throw him in a cage for the rest of his life for all I care, or hang him, I don't know, whatever. But to impeach him over this, like the least uh, offensive scandal of, of in government history, I mean, the, there's millions of things the government does on a, on a daily basis that are worse than um, even the worst-case scenario the, of what the Democrats are claiming Donald Trump did. I mean, who really cares about this? A phone call? Uh, it's not even an abuse of power. It's an attempted abuse of power because what they're accusing him of doing never actually happened. <laughs> they got the foreign aid. Uh, Trump never got his investigation. So none of this even came true. It, it's not a, an abuse of power. A best-case scenario, it's an attempted abuse of power. Uh, uh, oh, okay, great. <laughs> yeah, and it's just another one of these attempts by the deep state to overthrow a, a, a duly elected president. And I can't support that. Uh, I, I wouldn't even like unenthusiastically support it just because we need to get Donald Trump out of office. I mean, I don't know what that accomplishes other than now you get Mike Pence, which, <laughs> okay. Have fun with Mike Pence. But um, yeah, no, impeach him for the really bad things that, that the government is doing, the really horrific things. And that's all I'm going to say on this. I know I, I think a lot of people, I get accused of, of being this huge Trump supporter all the time because I'm constantly defending him from all of these ridiculous attacks from, from the, the Democrats or the media or whatever. And it's just because they're, they're so ridiculous. There, there's no historical perspective. Donald Trump's the worst president ever. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, he's not. He's not. I mean, he's doing a terrible job. Everything that he said he was going to do, uh, drain the swamp. uh, You know, he's going to—the greatest economy ever. He's spending more money than Barack Obama by a lot, by like 30% or something like that. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but he is spending a ton of money to prop up this, this phony economy, which he correctly called phony under Barack Obama. He called the unemployment statistics under Obama phony. The GDP numbers under Obama phony. And now he's spending more than ever. uh, He's spending the most money that our government has ever spent, ever, on a yearly basis. And this is supposedly during a time of the greatest economy ever, where our GDP is barely at 2%. I mean, if we can't cut government spending and cut government just a little bit during the greatest economy ever, when can we cut spending? Because there is a downturn coming. Uh, We are on the verge of recession now. It will happen eventually. I don't know when. I I don't know if Trump will make it out of office before this next downturn, but uh, it's coming. And if we can't roll back government now under Mr. Drain the Swamp, under the greatest economy ever, everything's terrific, and we have to spend all this money? We still have to spend all this money, more money than we were spending during the depths of the Great Recession to pull us back from the brink of collapse? We have to spend more money than that? Uh, if we can't cut government now, we have no chance of ever cutting it. <laughs> and and uh, he brags about the unemployment numbers. Uh, the same unemployment numbers that were a farce under Obama are now the greatest unemployment numbers ever under Donald Trump. Yeah, he's terrific. Okay, I got to drain the swamp and, and and hire just about the exact same people that would have been put in places like the Federal Reserve would have been appointed by by people like uh, John McCain or Hillary Clinton if they had gotten elected or whoever, you know, Donald Trump was running at Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush and Donald Trump's nominations would have been exactly the same. Yeah, okay, yeah, really draining the swamp. You don't drain the swamp by spending more money than any government ever in the history of governments. You drain the swamp by cutting things, by cutting spending, by cutting government, not growing it. He's growing the size of government every year. It never comes up. Uh, okay, so, I mean, I, I get accused of, of not... Um, of being some huge Trump supporter or something by by some people because I don't criticize him enough. It's not that I don't criticize him enough. It's that I, I almost don't have any time to criticize him because the things he's being criticized for are so ridiculous that I have to go and point out how ridiculous these criticisms are when we really should be talking about how the economy is a disaster, how he's lying to us about how great everything is and how he's not fulfilling any of his campaign promises. And th- this is all going to blow up in his face. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, I digress once again. It is it is Thanksgiving. It is the morning of Thanksgiving, what my grandpa used to always call Bird Day. You know, happy Bird Day, everybody. I think it took me a couple of Thanksgivings to realize that he wasn't saying birthday. But anyway, I am missing the Bears game right now to record this cuz I got to get to my uncle's house to celebrate pretty soon and I wanted to get this episode out to you guys as soon as possible so that uh, you know maybe you have something to listen to on the on your commute <laughs> if you live here in Chicago and you have to go east to west. <laughs> in the Thanksgiving traffic, you're going to be spending a lot of time in the car. Maybe you want to listen to a show. So, um, But it is Thanksgiving, and I do want to talk a little bit about what made the first Thanksgiving possible because I'm sure that a lot of people don't actually know this. Just like all of these other holidays that we celebrate the vast majority of Americans have no idea why we even celebrate them in the first place or what made them possible. And, you know, we get these stories from government schools about the first Thanksgiving and how the, the Native Americans and the pilgrims came together and shared this wonderful harvest with each other and yada, yada, yada. You guys all know that part of the story. What you may not know about that part of the story is before... They had those great harvests to share with the natives. The pilgrims almost starved to death. Okay, they were on the verge of extinction because they they couldn't get enough food to harvest. And the reason they couldn't do that is because when they first came over, they they had this idea. You know, we're we're this united people. We're all, we're all very religious. We're going to work together communally. Everybody's going to come together, and we will. We will work the land together, we will share all the crops with each other, and it will just be this one big happy socialist utopia, right? And what happened was, after that first year, after that first season's harvest uh, of Communally farming and pooling their resources together and sharing everything with everybody of doing exactly What the Bernie Sanders is of the world the Elizabeth Warren's of the world everybody on the democratic ticket right now basically wants you to do you know this uh, uh, Democratic socialism that first harvest after that was so Minuscule that they were they were literally starving to death a lot of them were were going to head back to Europe we're, gonna, we're just going to throw in the towel. They were dying off left and right. This was America's first experiment with socialism. A lot of people don't think that America's ever tried it. No, we have. The The pilgrims tried it and it nearly killed them. It nearly killed all of them because it, it was an inefficient disaster. You know, the, the teenage uh, kids over there, they would. fake sick. They'd be too sick to work all the time. They'd be stealing from the communal pot at night. They'd they'd raid on the corn and stuff like that. And and nobody's working as hard as they would because they don't get to benefit from the hard work. It's what you get. It's what's called the tragedy of the commons. When everyone owns something, no one owns it and no one takes uh, as much pride in maintaining it. And you see this in all, all the things that are communally owned today. Um, but anyway, by the spring, you know, the, the pilgrim leader, his name was William Bradford, and, and you can they have his diaries, you can read this, but he said, Our food stores were used up and people grew weak and thin. Some swelled with hunger. So they um, began to think how they might not still thus languish in misery. And the answer that he came up with, was to divide the communal lands into parcels and assign each pilgrim family its own property. And as he put it in, the, in his diary, he says they're going to set corn for every man for his own particular and assign every family a parcel of land. What they're coming up with right now are property rights. These are the first property rights in America. So what, what we took what was communally owned when nobody was working on it as hard as they would. And we assigned a, a piece of property to each pilgrim family. Okay. And the, one of the beautiful things of private property is it protects us from that whole tragedy of the commons. Uh, we don't have this shared resource anymore. No, no, you have to work your land, you have to produce for yourself. And when what happened was they, they had the, the greatest harvest in history up till that point. They went from literally on the verge of starvation to all of a sudden, now that everybody has their own private land, lo and behold, they're not too sick to work anymore. Uh, that they, they, they get up off their ass and they start farming. And now they have, the, they have a harvest. They have so much harvest, in fact, that they have um, excess food, enough that they can share with the natives. Okay? It is Private property rights. It is a rejection of socialism and embracing private property rights, which is what made the first Thanksgiving possible. And that is the lesson, of course, that is never taught in schools. It's never taught throughout society. It's never talked about on Thanksgiving. Private property rights, uh, one of the cornerstones of libertarian philosophy, is protection of a staunch protection of private property rights. And this is one of the reasons why is one of the reasons why. And if we hadn't rejected socialism, the, the, the pilgrims would have eventually died off. We would never have Thanksgiving. And we would never have anything to be thankful for. Because none of us would ever exist, I guess. <laughs> or at least most of us wouldn't. Um, so anyway, I, I thought I would share that with people. Not a lot of uh, discussions like that come up at the Thanksgiving dinner table. So if talk of politics come up and... Uh, you want to uh, uh, you give a libertarian perspective on this or you, you want to drop some, some knowledge on some unsuspecting victims. You don't have to get into an argument. You, you can just tell them the story of what made the first Thanksgiving possible. And it was a rejection of the ideas of Bernie Sanders and an embrace of the ideas of Ron Paul or Murray Rothbard of protecting private property rights and letting people take individual responsibility for, for their own production. So when you sit back today and you reflect on your life and the things you're thankful for, be thankful for private property rights, or at least what what's left of them, what they've allowed us to keep. Be thankful for that. Be thankful that the Pilgrims were smart enough to reject socialism and embrace capitalism, if you will, or embrace property rights. Um... Oh, and another big story that's been going around libertarian circles that I'm thankful for, that we should all be thankful for, is that the Libertarian Party now has a a nominee running for the nomination on the Libertarian ticket that is not a complete joke, that is not going to embarrass us if he gets the nomination, and that is Jacob Hornberger. I personally have never really gotten involved in the whole political process. I don't vote. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't usually promote candidates or anything like that because, well, most of the time there's nobody for me to promote. <laughs> there's there's nobody who's principled who has the the same beliefs that I do running on any ticket. Uh, Jacob Hornberger is as good a, of a candidate as we could hope for as libertarians, and I encourage anybody out there listening to look into him. Uh, he 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 writes a ton of of. of uh, articles he's had a um a long and distinguished career as a staunch libertarian he he knows his stuff and we need to get him to be the libertarian nominee there's a huge push by libertarian podcasters far bigger than myself so they probably don't need much of my help out there but for for what it's worth i i encourage anybody to look into this and do what you can to support Jacob Hornberger getting the nomination on the Libertarian ticket. We're going to have another disastrous choice for president between Donald Trump and whoever the Democratic nominee is going to be. Uh, Oh, my God, help us if it's Elizabeth Warren. I I don't think it will be. Maybe Bloomberg. I don't know. Doubtful. (laughs) He'd probably be the best candidate for him, so I doubt he'll get the nomination. But... Regardless, we're going to have two more terrible choices for president and then this third-party candidate running on the libertarian ticket on the ballot in all 50 states. And it would be nice if he's just not a joke of a man. He's not a, a complete and utter embarrassment to libertarian philosophy. He's not going to cave on any principles. He's not going to uh, have any, um, any Gary Johnson gaffes or, or ridiculous moments like that. He's no Bill Weld. I think it's important. I don't Obviously, I don't expect a libertarian to ever win the presidency anytime soon. But it would be nice if we could have a third option out there during another disastrous election cycle that can at least get our message out there clearly and properly and maybe help convert some more people over to libertarianism like a Ron Paul did. So that's another thing to be thankful for. And just... I guess on a personal level, when I sit back and reflect on what I'm thankful for over this past year, one of the things is that I've started this show. I have undergone a lot of changes this year, both personally and professionally. And I've, I've made some pretty big life altering decisions. Um, And that's one thing I constantly struggle with is making decisions. People always ask me, oh, what's your favorite this, your favorite that? And I I can't commit to, I hate that question. I don't like declaring what my favorite one thing is in any category. I have trouble making those decisions. But I've been plagued most of my life with what I've decided to deem a poverty mindset. Okay, so being poor is, you know, a temporary situation, or at least it can be. People can go from being poor to being rich beyond their wildest dreams. They can go from being rich to being poor. They can go from being uh, rich to being poor back to being rich again. It it all depends on their mindset. Uh, Poverty is a mindset. You're constantly thinking like you're poor. You think poor. You think in terms of what you have to lose instead of what you have to gain. You're so afraid of losing what you have and clinging to what you have that you neglect opportunities that can change your life and maybe bring you everything that you've ever wanted. I I think most people are concerned with saving a nickel instead of earning a dollar, and it keeps them in their current situation, and up until very recently, I was one of these people. I had a comfortable job, I was doing okay, you know, I was making enough money to do most of the things I wanted to do, but the ceiling was very low. I, I never really had any idea of what I wanted to do professionally. I never really had any goal, uh, I no gumption, no direction. I, I've never really had any passion either. I, I, another question I used to hate being asked growing up is, what do you want to do? when you grow up and things like that. I hated that question because I never had an answer. I never knew what I wanted to do. And I was living a life of mediocrity. The vast majority of people's lives end up being mediocre. Most people live a life somewhere between total failure and their full potential. And uh, a poverty mindset is a great way of achieving that. And where I was in life was 100% my fault. It, it was the direct result of all the decisions I had made up to that point. And that was something that I had to come to terms with. Something we all have to come to terms with. Wherever you are in life, it is your fault. Okay? Whether you are where you want to be, or whether you're not where you want to be, whether you're rich or you're poor, it's your fault. It's your fault. We are all self-made men and women. It's just that only the successful ones want to admit it. And I think a lot of libertarians uh, like to sit around and we blame their, our circumstances on other things. We blame the government for this. We blame the government for that. And I still, I was and still am great at complaining about things. I could complain about just about anything if you give me, if you give me the opportunity. And I could have sat around for another year making excuses as to why I shouldn't try to make a change Why I shouldn't start a podcast, why I shouldn't dive into currency trading, why I should just stay the course at a comfortable job, grinding it out like 80% of America, why I shouldn't take any risks for fear of losing what I had, right? That's the poverty mindset. But I just got sick of being mediocre. I I got sick of looking at what my life would have been like down the road and, and seeing that it would be virtually the same as it is now unless I changed something. Uh, It was like I was sitting around and just waiting for some big opportunity to give me the life that I wanted and just expected things to be different even though I wasn't doing anything different personally to change things. And I could have just continued to, you know, waltz through life comfortably, grinding it out at a boring job, but I wanted to reach my full potential. And I still have no idea what that is or... Where that may be, but I do know that I'm capable of more than what I was doing. And I guess that is the main thing that I'm thankful for that I live in a time where there is opportunity everywhere, when it's easier than ever to learn new skills and and start new ventures. And I'm thankful that I was finally able to find something that I'm passionate about, that I look forward to doing. Took me it took me over 30 years to figure it out, but I finally got there, I guess. And I, I'm thankful for those of you who listen to me talking into this microphone every day. I, I hope that you continue to do so. I hope that you will take a look at your life during this holiday season and figure out what steps you need to take to make the changes necessary so that you're not one of those lemmings going through the motions living a mediocre life clinging to your poverty mindset uh, and i have no idea whether the decisions i've made this past year were for better or worse it's it's really too early to tell whether this show will be successful or any of the decisions i've made over the past year were the right ones uh, but i'm i'm going for it you know because i have far more to gain than i have to lose and i know that if for whatever reason I can't make uh, success out of these new ventures, it won't be for lack of trying. It won't be because I was too afraid to take a chance to put myself out there and just take the shot. Just go for it, you know? So anyway, this Thanksgiving, be thankful for what you have, absolutely. There's always something to be thankful for no matter how bad your situation is but I don't want you to cling to what you have at the expense of missing out on greater opportunities. So guys, if you like the show today and you wanna help me reach my full potential, I need you to do a couple things for me. I need you to download the show and listen to every episode. I I will be doing two episodes a week and I need you to share them with your friends. We need to grow this audience and I will do my part. I will do everything that I possibly can to do so. But I can't do it alone, okay? If you enjoy this show, if you believe in the message of liberty, help me spread it, okay? Help me out here. And lastly, you can always go to my website, peddlingfictionpodcast.com, and contribute to the show monetarily. Any dollar that you do donate goes right back into this show. I'm not pocketing any of this. I'm just going to use it to help grow the show and grow the audience and, and spread the message, the message of liberty. So... Don't forget to also follow me on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction. And if you can do all that, I will be back in a few days with a new episode for you. Until then, just remember to keep on pedaling that so-called fiction. Peace.